Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So it's not going to be a, a white Christmas in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. It may be a, a purple, a blue Christmas. Um, the uh, city administrator there, deputy city administrator, a woman, a woman named uh, Melissa Canarero Weiss. Oh, boy. Oh, the hyphenated last name, the mm. bane of my existence. Yeah. Just pick a name and stick with it. It's uh, a leading indicator that. of memos like this. She uh, sent a... Missive encouraging city workers to adopt, quote, inclusive decorating practices, unquote, in how <laughs> Wauwatosa's municipal buildings are decorated over the holidays. Uh-huh. Use more winter themed decorations such as snowflakes or snowmen or snow, snow people. Snow, oh, excuse me, Dan. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she. Um, uh, wants to avoid some. Red, Santa, so much. Right? Well, she wants to avoid so much red and green. Oh, like she wants the blue and silver, maybe some sparkles. Uh, she likes city workers. I'm quoting here uh-huh. to take some time to reflect on our commitment to create a welcoming and inclusive environment for all residents and visitors to our buildings, as well as our co-workers at City Hall in particular. December is the busiest month of the year. Why? Okay. Many residents visiting in person and pay property tax bills. We strive to ensure that every visitor to our building feels valued and respected, regardless of their individual beliefs and traditions. You know, when I go to a government building to do um, some paperwork to, uh, you know, tithe. Well, tithe. I wish it was only tithing. Tithe my government, uh, our God in this country. I really... uh, Consider whether my experience reflected a commitment to valuing me. <laughs> Isn't that what you think about when you interact with the government? When you go in to pay your property taxes? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in DA then a quick comment. I got a text on my phone saying, um blue and silver means Hanukkah. Well, it's not silver, blue, purple. purple. Um, she goes on. I'm just saying because I suggested just putting silver up and oh, snowflakes and white. Well, yeah, we hate to hate to right cross any lines here. It's got to be completely uh, non-sectarian and indecipherable. Uh, currently, uh, writes uh, Miss. Uh, what's the thing? Weiss. Uh, Cantarero Weiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Ms. Okay. Uh, Christmas decorations are prevalent throughout public counters at City Hall and perhaps other buildings as well. Well, we understand the significance of this holiday for many. Oh, do you? <laughs> you, want, 
you, you are aware of Christmas and its significance. Good for you. Jesus is the reason for the season, woman. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad she's taking judicial notice of Christmas. It's important to recognize not all Wauwatosa employees, residents, or business owners celebrate Christmas. Is that right? Not everybody in America is a Christian. God, she is so observant. In our ongoing efforts to foster a more equitable and inclusive community, we believe it's crucial to be considerate of how we decorate public spaces during this season. No, it just continues. To that end, we kindly ask departments refrain from using religious decorations or solely associated with Christmas, such as red and green colors, when decorating public spaces within Sydney buildings. Instead, we encourage you to offer more neutral and inclusive decorations. And you can just imagine the sing-songy way that she'd be delivering this if she was speaking it aloud that celebrate the season without favoring any particular belief system. Here are a few suggestions. Thank you. For suggestions because this is you know otherwise inscrutable uh winter wonderland snowflakes no people other non-religious symbols associated with winter suggestion number two lights and greenery festive lighting and greenery can create a warm and welcoming atmosphere without specific religious connotations uh, suggestion number three northern lights draw inspiration from the aurora borealis and incorporate colors oh like Blue, green, and purple. Above go. all, our goal is to foster inclusivity and respect. Your creativity can play a significant role in helping us to reach that goal. By embracing inclusive decorating practices, we can reinforce our commitment to being a more equitable and welcoming place for all people who live in Wabatosa, doing business in our community, and our coworkers. Your cooperation and helping meet this goal is appreciated. Together, we can make Wabatosa's municipal buildings a place that everyone can feel comfortable visiting throughout the holiday season. Whew, you did that all in one breath. So wonderful. Oh. Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. Uh, right, so if... Up that, where, where that even is. This is why I would run screaming, and have before almost, uh, screaming from these uh, suffocating municipal or corporate environments is because of people like Melissa Cantorero-Weiss and the culture that she represents. Jerry, Northwest Side, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning. Uh, you commented about the uh, walking into a federal building and people's reaction with the employees. Yeah. I am a retired, I'm a retired Chicago police uh, crime detective, uh-huh. and I worked in the Durson Federal Building along with probably 75 other retired policemen. Uh-huh. And this is really meaningless, but we uh, we do our best to greet people cordially and engage in conversation, light conversation, because a lot of these people are defendants and are for very serious matters. So hopefully that's a good start to their day. For whatever that means, uh, maybe others have input about that. All right. Thanks for the call, Jerry. Uh, enjoy prison. <laughs> oh, wait, you're in Cook County. Oh, no, the federal no. building. Federal building. Yeah, federal building. All right. We're going to Dirksen. Uh, good morning, Alderman. Good morning, state legislator. Good morning. All right. Joe in Naperville. Yeah, you know, if this woman in Watosa wants to be inclusive and not offend anybody, just cancel the time off, cancel the holiday, and make everybody work that day. How does that sound? Thanks, Joe. Carl in Big Cabin, Oklahoma. Hey, good morning. I, um, I, do, I do need you to talk me off the ledge of not voting after I do comment about Tosa. Um, Tulsa has uh, on every street sign on the upper right-hand corner a crucifix. Back in the 80s, they had a disagreement about it because, you know, it's a religious thing. Yeah. So instead of calling it a crucifix, they call it a T for Tulsa now. 
Now my my important seriously, it's the T for Tulsa. Yes, yes. My important thing is, I hear in the news this morning. I I don't even want to vote no more. Instead of uh, you know cutting spending at the federal level, we have to spend trillions more so people won't have trouble getting home for their turkey dinner because if we shut down the government, the air traffic controllers aren't going to go to work, so people will be late getting home for turkey dinner. What's the point in me voting? Yeah, that was a big scare on network news. You know, Air traffic controllers and TSA aren't going to be there to help you get to your family, your loved ones. Republicans, bad. Have we ever ever had a government shutdown that shut down the airports? Uh, Never. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. No. Okay. So sure. keep that in mind when you're listening to the bull jive on the mainstream media. Yeah. And I guess you have to ask yourself, too, uh, with respect to your any interactions you might have with your Congress humans during this uh, holiday season that we're upon. Did that interaction make me feel valued? Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. By the way, since uh, there was that mention of, uh, oh, the prospect of a government shutdown, shutting down the airports, TSA and air traffic controllers and so forth. Thanksgiving put on hold was the headline I saw yesterday. Yeah. It's a joke. I'd be really concerned Uh, about TSA not keeping us safe. Okay, as Dan rolls his eyes. Okay, ridiculous. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I know Mayor uh, Mayor Peabod is busy with those staged bike rides he does. Yeah, um, and uh, other matters. U.S. Airlines on course for the worst ever year for flight delays. Airlines racked up a million delayed departures in record time in 2023. Uh, almost a quarter of flights so far this year have taken off late. What's late uh, leaves the gate 15 minutes or more after its scheduled time. So um, not exactly doing a bang-up job. Now, of course, they're, the industry is complaining about uh, shortages of pilots and AT, air traffic controllers and mechanics and so on and so forth. But um, I just just an interesting sort of comment on the state of uh, transportation and you know and again i'm 
just taking a, eh, a shot at Peabot because it's fun to do. Exactly. But I mean, I don't expect I don't expect any. Uh, somebody called him a soccer mom online. That's going around. Uh, I don't expect anybody uh, to um, who's the secretary of transportation. Like they're they're like they're really in charge of making sure that the. Uh, vast complicated airline industry operates with maximum efficiency that's on the carriers let's be real here right. but but it is an opportunity to remind people that uh peabut is just like he's just a mascot and it's i mean that the video he's of the him future of the democratic party they say no huh. i think so the video of him, if you haven't seen it, getting out of his SUV and getting onto his bike so that he can pretend that he rides his bike to work and he's so eco-friendly, that's good stuff. That's fun. That's fun stuff. And he did that in France, too, when he was visiting over there, did the same thing. Yeah, his we, detail pulled over, and then he got on a bike, and, you know. We've seen a lot of uh, um, charlatans, like, in, you know, at the upper reaches of government uh, in the West, not just in America, do the same thing. You had uh, some, I think it was a, a frog official, you know, the French did the same thing oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in, in route then, to a you know, climate change conference or something. And he, you know, puts on the Bob the Builder outfit, the safety vest and the hard hat when he goes. To, yeah, just uh, play dress you know, up. To... I mean, the whole thing is just playing dress up. That's what it is. He's uh... Uh, All right. Um, on to uh, other matters. Uh, San Francisco, um, a lot of people uh, are noticing that. Uh, wow, what's going on? Dude? They've really cleaned up the place <laughs> uh, in advance of the Chinese communist dictator. That would be Xi Jinping's arrival tomorrow. Yeah. And Governor Newsom, I mean, he even admitted that the tents are down and they have these nice walls up, too. I, I thought they were against walls. But, yeah, he was honest with the people of California and San Francisco. Folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, that's true because it's true, but it's also true for months and months and months prior to APEC, we've been having different conversations. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Uh, well, uh, he had a plan when he was mayor of San Francisco more than 15 years ago to eradicate homelessness in San Francisco within 10 years. Did anybody ask him how that turned out? London Breed is the actual mayor of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So she bears the primary responsibility for what's happening on the streets of San Francisco. Pardon my Carl Malden, right? Wasn't Carl Malden streets of San Francisco? Anyway, I digress. Uh, she was uh, interviewed by Bloomberg about this same topic. Uh, boy, a lot of people are noticing that this uh, city that uh, had become a pit at least, uh, if, you know, for presentation purposes, is looking a lot better. It's gone from Pitt to Potemkin. What's going on? And she sort of gave the same answer that Newsom did, of course, because they're reading from the same script. We have been working on this now for a few years. This is not uh, an issue that we've been sitting around waiting uh, to solve. It's been something that San Francisco continues to work on. And since I've been mayor, since 2018, we've helped over 10,000 people exit homelessness. And we've never even had 10,000 people on our streets. We've seen a reduction when other Bay Area cities saw an increase. And so this is a problem that we continuously worked on. This year, fortunately, we've gotten additional resources from the state and the federal government that has really made a tremendous difference around the challenges that we're dealing with. Keep sending the money. Keep 
drop shipping that money like every other big city's mayors mayor is saying to their state and to the federal government. Uh, well, uh, Wait, help she... me a little bit with the the numbers. We have um, moved more than ten. We have moved more than the number of homeless people we have out of homelessness. That's Last I checked, I thought really there's 65,000 homeless people on the streets of San Francisco. I, the, these numbers are all fictional. Okay. So, I mean, who cares? 10,000, 65,000. We move more than 10,000 people out of homelessness. That's more people than we have that are homeless. What? How does that make? Okay. Um, it just pisses me off because the people, the business owners of San Francisco, we're begging, please get these people off the streets so I can do business, so I can live here and raise my family. And they don't do it for them. But then when the president of China comes and Biden comes, they clean it all up. It'll be interesting to see once their visit's over if those people are going to move back to their spots, so well, that, to speak. Well, that was asked, is this, uh, oh, okay. is this, is this a temporary or is this a, is a permanent thing? And, oh, by the way, I mean, I don't feel this is more just uh, a tale to tell of how the new Marxists operate. And why these big cities are, you know, nut houses. This is not, oh, you know, woe is, are the residents of San Francisco who enjoy all of this. Question from our audience that was submitted when they heard mm-hmm. you were coming on the program is, mm-hmm. uh, were people moved temporarily mm-hmm. because of the events of this week from specific blocks and neighborhoods to others? Or was this a permanent action that was taken Uh, for what we see on the streets outside. Well, it was uh, an effort that took place. uh, As you know, we had a a court case where it limited our ability to move people off the streets. We still have a few hundred uh, beds available, and our street outreach team is out there every day. And after we got clarity from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, people... I didn't really want to answer that question, whether it's uh, temporary. Uh, The reporter offered this commentary to try to prompt more disclosure. Mayor Breed, the frustration of San Franciscans mm-hmm. and the perception of the outside world is this happens every APEC or even mm-hmm. with Dreamforce. Uh, for a week, the city is cleaned up. Mm-hmm. It puts its best foot forward. But when everyone leaves on Friday or at the end of the week, you know what guarantees can you give the city that this is permanent, that the actions the city's taken to address the problems we know about will continue? And uh, what does she have to say that? We have certain concentrated areas where there are challenges. Other major cities in the U.S. have the same problems. But in our neighborhoods, in the outskirts of San Francisco, things have been looking up for a very long time. It's big city living. Oh, my God. Big city living. <laughs> They're all the same. They are all the same. And by the way, Jeez. what's interesting uh, to listen to London, why it's interesting to listen to London Breed now is because you're going to hear the same rap from Brandon Johnson next year with the DNC. They're going to do the same thing. Right. So just get, get ready for clean it. All those homeless encampments that line beautiful Lakeshore Drive. They're going to take them away. And then I bet three days after the event, they're going to be right back where they were. Well, I mean, get may- the garbage cans out, get them a porta potty. Let's go. We'll see. Maybe. I mean, you've got uh, Ditka's now as a homeless shelter. You've got oh, yeah. the opportunity to make Grand Lux a homeless shelter some point you're going to probably have an opportunity to make water tower place a homeless shelter. So, I mean, there may be options. Uh, John and Crown Point, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, guys. Hey, San Francisco is doing the same thing what you would do if you had, like, company come over. 
clean up. <laughs> exactly. You know. Then it reverts to the pigsty that it actually is. Up off, get all those old Kleenexes up off the couch and stuff. <laughs> okay. Put away your dirty underwear. Yeah, all right. Okay, I, I got it. Thanks for the call, John. Get out the candy dish. Uh, right, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, come on. Yeah. Do you see the wall they put up, though, too? Don't even, that, that says don't even think about putting, you know, erecting your tent here. Well, I, did, did we always have these freshly cut flowers? <laughs> Pat, What's that smell? It's beautiful. Pat in Lockport, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning. Uh, you know, well, that San Francisco thing is such a crock of crap, literally. And, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but what is even more hysterical, even more hysterical, I'd love to be a fly on the wall listening to Biden talk to the president of China about their fundamental relationships or aspects of their relationships, that is the biggest joke. Have a good day, guys. Thanks for the call, Why is he here anyway? Well, he's here for the Asian Pacific Pacific. uh, conference. But, uh, yeah, um, our friend Gordon Chang, uh, the author uh, and, um, you know, anti-ChaiCom advocate, I said uh, you should cancel the whole thing. America shouldn't participate in this. China's Ch- the Chinese Communist Party is an illegitimate regime. Eduardo, Tampa Bay. Yeah, good morning. Uh, so you had a uh, big fire that's going to be taking out the Interstate 10 over there in L.A. Uh, there was a homeless camp underneath there. So are we going to set a presence now that we're going to be clearing out these camps out across the U.S.? I mean, we got a bunch under the Kennedy, on the outbound Kennedy and on the inbound Kennedy. Yeah, it's interesting, too, how interested people are in homelessness in Chicago with the arrival of the migrants. Hey, hey, we can't uh, do all these uh, base camps for migrants and turn hotels into uh, migrant centers and allow migrants to sleep on the floors in police stations. Hey, what about the homeless? Oh, now there's a recognition there's homelessness in Chicago all of a sudden. Oh. I, I, I love the sort of the arguments of convenience. You know, I pay no attention to what's happening in Lower Wacker and pay no attention to these 10 cities with uh, respect to the indigenous population that have dotted Chicago for a long time. Gag. Now pay attention to them because, hey, what about this by way of making an argument against that because I don't like the implications of what my policy views. I don't like the implications of my policy views, I should say. And so now I'm going to be a homeless advocate because I don't want to come across as unwelcoming because God forbid. Yeah, we have a homeless problem in Chicago. Everybody just found out when all the migrants came. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. 
These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. Dan and Amy, uh, you uh, reminded me uh, during the break that uh, London Breed is a big Tony, Tony, Tony fan, and I'm not talking about Preckwinkle. Remember this uh, instant classic? The Black Cat. And I think it's sad that um, this is even a story. Um, The fact is um, there was something that was really um, monumental that occurred. And that is Tony, 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 the original members, the brothers, Raphael Sadiq and Dwayne Wiggins, who have not performed in public for, I believe, at least over 20 years. They are just really... Um, some of the most incredible artists in the history of this country and the Bay Area in particular. And the fact that that is getting lost here is very unfortunate. Because she went out. There it is. She went out to a a bar and got her drink on and her dance on. And she had restrictions in clubs and she was not wearing a mask. During COVID. During COVID, the whole thing during during COVID. And they asked her about it and she deflected so wonderfully saying... You don't know the significance of them reuniting and performing in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah oh, that yeah, is yeah. so great. I mean, Feel Good was, uh, was Feels Good was a fun song. I don't know that I would put to Tony, Tony, Tony in the pantheon of the greatest <laughs> musicians in the history of Western civilization. But, you know, teach their own, uh, London uh, Breed. Yeah, we're focused on Tony, Tony, Tony. Don't focus on my hypocrisy. Of course. Uh, of course. So cool. Face of the city in Chicago, Tony, Tony, Tony in San Francisco. Got to go get his workout on in New York under the Sandinista and Bill de Blasio. They're Ready all have at the dinner at the French Laundry with my family. They're and all the same. They're all the same. It doesn't matter. They're just the names are different, but they are all the same. The leftists in charge of big city America and the results are all the same. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I'll tell you, I understand why uh, there is uh, agreement, bipartisan agreement for continuing resolutions to prevent uh, the, the proverbial government shutdown because you don't want to shut this party down at the FDIC. What's going on? You think, I love a good party. You think the uh, bank examiners at the FDIC are uh, you know, a bunch of vanilla, humorless. Well, yeah gray suited uh, automatons With pocket protectors and glasses and you'd be wrong all buttoned up uh the uh, green eye shades folks like to get their drink on yeah. they like to go to uh, houses of ill repute 
Oh. They like to send pee-pee pics. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. A male federal deposit uh, insurance corp supervisor in San Fran invited employees to a strip club. Supervisor in Denver had sex with his employee, oh. told other employees about it, and pressed her to drink whiskey during work. Senior bank examiners texted female employees photos of their penises. And all of those men remained, all those bad boys of the FDIC remained employed at the agency. Uh, this toxic work environment now uh, documented in a Wall Street Journal uh, expose of I the FDIC. Misogynistic behavior. Female examiners left the FDIC because of what they say was sexualized, sexualized boys club environment. And it, right bunch of dorks and uh they believe they were they were consistently given fewer opportunities than their male counterparts the agency tolerated a heavy drinking culture the fdic's 11-story hotel outside washington fdic has an 11-story hotel outside of washington where out-of-town employees stay when attending training was a party hub where people have vomited in the elevator, urinated off the roof after nights of heavy drinking. What is going on around here? The carousing spawned an Instagram account that posted in oh, 2021, boy. quote, if you haven't puked off the roof, were you ever really at FIS, referring to a bank examiner in training? We've been How doing about this. it? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Lee I Harvey. feel pretty tame, are you know, the trips we used to take with our listeners. We when you like tried that. to make it with that cow, you're a madman. Uh, in 2020, the agency's inspector general found the FDIC's policies for preventing, identifying, and disciplining sexual harassment fell short. Um, and in response, the FDIC official gave the pro forma Harassment in any form is contrary to our values and our deep commitment to fostering a diverse and inclusive workplace. So now they've hired a law firm to look into these horrific uh, allegations of harassment and discrimination. Oh, my gosh. Mm. The Wild West, they call it, at the FDIC. I still can't over get over they had a, their own hotel. Uh, you got to do that all that training so that they can then be dispatched around the country to preserve the integrity of our banking system. Sure, that's what they do. Uh, <laughs> all right, insert your own direct deposit joke uh, hey. anywhere you want with respect to the FDIC. I just, uh, you know, I just want you to remember these are our regulators. These are uh, our betters. Right. Remember when Silicon Valley Bank fell? They were the FDIC was there. They're our leaders, and they're out partying and what? Strip club invites. I just, it's just, I, these stories, um, well, it gets a little um, more serious. But the stories of this sort of boorish behavior, it, it's, again, it's just a reminder. Tell your friends. The people in government are not magical, and they're not better than you or me or anybody else. So why do you, to the friends that do, why do you place blind faith in these people? Why do you say the government will solve it as your default position to everything? Story after story after story. Exa I mean, the examples of this kind of stuff in government are legion, of course. Because the examples in the private sector are legion, too. Because they're just human beings.
And a lot of them are flawed. And a lot of them are patronage hires. And a lot of them are insulated from accountability because they're in the government. So probably more prevalent when there's when it comes to, uh, you know, this sort of conduct, because there's no bottom line sensitivity. There's no real performance metrics that have to be met. I mean, at least not with consequences attached. You know, just get up on doing your nine to five and retire at 55. That's why the stories are important. I mean, they're fun and you can be silly, but it's also, I mean, what, what is the missing piece of your gray matter that allows you to continue to imagine that private vice becomes public virtue when some schlub who lives next door to you becomes a federal government employee or a state government employee or an elected official. Remarkable. Related story. Three people have been charged with running a sophisticated commercial sex ring in Massachusetts and Northern Virginia, um, federal government base camp, that cater to well-connected clients such as elected officials and military officers. Federal prosecutors disclosed in court last week. Women were featured on websites that falsely claimed to advertise nude Asian models for professional photography and high-end apartments with monthly rents as much as 3600 bucks were used as brothels, according to prosecutors. Another website allowed clients to rate the women. Apartments in Fairfax County were uh, uh, connected to the multi... There were apartments in Fairfax County connected to the uh, multi-state brothel bust. The commercial sex ring was built on secrecy and exclusivity, catering to wealthy and well-connected clientele, and the business was booming, said the acting U.S. attorney in Massachusetts. Brothels were in Watertown and Cambridge. Cambridge, that's where Harvard is. While others were outside D.C. So... I mean, who do they think they are, and they well, think they, how long do they think they can get away with it? Well, more the, the, the more uh, pertinent question, who are the they? Right. It's like Epstein's flight list. Who was on his Epstein's plane? Who are these people? Why don't they name names? Cambridge, if anybody else, they'd name their name. Cambridge and Northern Virginia. Right. If it, they do a, a street a Republican, a, a, street, a street sting and uh, you get picked up, then you're on the police blotter. So who are all these people? Well-connected clients such as elected officials and military officers. Oh, OK. And their names are. Huh. Married to who? And how many worked at the FDIC? Uh, Len in Highland Park, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning. Uh, hopefully I'm in a caddy today. Um, I was at Chicago Merck for 30 years. These guys, we got nothing on them. I thought we were bad. They, they, I mean, they destroyed our image. I'll let you take it from there, Dan. Thanks for the call. Right, the, that, uh, the, the Merck guys have nothing on the FDIC, is what uh, Len was saying. The old Merck guys, trading floor guys, yeah. Yeah, I mean, which guy was the bookie? Which guy was the drug dealer over at F- FDIC or is present tense? Clay Libertyville. Morning, Dan and uh, Amy. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a very immature person sometimes, and I have plenty of jokes coming. <laughs> coming. 
but I'm going to take this one serious. At 20 years old, I pulled my money from uh, all FDIC banks. I was fed up with them when I was 20 years old. Before I could take a sip of alcohol, I was disgusted by how they run their banks. And I moved all of my money into community banks and or uh, credit unions. I cannot stand those people. They're a plague on this earth, and they are definitely just an evil, evil well, I mean, it's, it's, well, I, that's those are strong opinions about the FDIC, which is a rather faceless oh. bureaucracy. But I mean, what, was there some sort of experience? Did you did an FDIC uh, examiner send you a picture of his penis or something? <laughs> uh, nothing that graphic. Um, there was money involved. I, I really, you know, it's a little personal. Cause okay. Amazing. All right. Fair but, enough. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Sorry. It, so- uh, it sounded personal. I, that's why I asked. Yeah. They. I mean, it's our lives. So how do you not take it personal? And that goes with government, too. How do you not take take it personal when these people are, are set and hell-bent on destroying your life and they don't care if they do it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. Thanks. Just- Thanks for the call, Clay. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No? We'll try to stay on this brothel story. Try and stay on the Epstein story. <laughs> I mean, why, it's, uh, and you, you know that if it was a well-known Republican politician... In Northern Virginia, partaking in this kind of you know debauchery, we would have their name. Well, maybe right away. Maybe, maybe there, maybe that's included. And you know, if you release one, then you have to release them all. We we don't know. Could be. Wouldn't surprise. Like, why me. are they protecting sickos? You know what I mean? Like that are engaging in illegal behavior. I don't know. Well, yeah, and also too. I, I mean, people think, oh, it's not a victimless crime. Ask the prostitute who might have been forced into prostitution. This well, that's the thing here. This sounds like uh, it may, you know, be uh, the human trafficking. Uh, there may be a human trafficking aspect to, to this as well. That's why yeah. I ask politicians, military. Not to mention when you know this is like uh, Swalwell and his honeypot. You know that dingbat from California uh, and his Chicom honeypot. Yeah, the Mimbo. Um, so I mean, high politicians. Military officials, if they're engaged in this sort of illicit activity, they could also be compromised. And, you know, their personal conduct may not be of particular interest to you, although I would suggest it should be. But um, but if it compromises their ability to do their job or to make decisions based on the appropriate considerations, then that's a problem. Yeah. High-level officials, Cambridge, Fairfax. Hmm. We'll have to see what the... Well, I mean, frankly, we'll have to see what the U.S. Attorney of Massachusetts is going to disclose. But in addition to that, here again, like the Epstein case, there, no clients? I mean, it would be, be nice if um, you would have some people that have positions of power in D.C. that would say... Uh, this is troubling, so I want to know more. We'll see if anybody does that. Grant on uh, I-90. Good morning, Danny and Amy. What a excellent soul you guys have. Um, you can't blame the guys at the FDIC. It's not their fault because all the women were wearing deposit slips. Hi-oh! Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Finally. I was looking for a banking <laughs> joke. 
connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Dan and Amy, um, at the uh, city government level, we're talking about our betters, like those wild and crazy guys at FDIC. Meet Denise Barreto. She's the Chicago Transit Authority's first chief equity officer. Why are they worried about that when they should be focusing on crime on the CTA? You've got to eradicate uh, transportation racism. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. She was a uh, she's a, a black woman, as she makes mention many times during this interview she did with Craig Delamore for WBBM's at issue program. Delamore's program. <laughs> How many times did she mention? Uh, plenty. Okay. She's a big fan of uh, Tony, Tony, Tony Preckwinkle, big fan of Stacey Abrams. So she called a colleague. Um, and uh, well, she's in the. Stacey Abrams, a colleague? She's in the equity business, which oh. is to say the racism business. She's running a choo-choo? Uh, listen to uh, what she has to say, because most of the conversation was about the CTA needs cash. What else is new? She knows how to talk to downstate elected officials in MAGA country. Crackers. You know, down in central and southern Illinois. The honkies. She was uh, an elected official in Lake in the Hills. She was a village trustee in Lake in the Hills in McHenry County. And uh, you know what McHenry County is full of. Honky. White supremacists. Oh, yeah. Right. So we need to, I'm starting to plant the seeds. We need a more equitable funding model to relate to that because we get compared a lot to New York, to MTA, to places where they have different funding models than us. And and our funding model, which originates um, the one that we're in right now from 1983, it's been 40 years and it's outdated and it is inequitable. And so that's what we're going to be talking to lawmakers about where that's what we're doing during veto session it's all been about education and you know i'm so glad you you brought up that point about um you know talking to them and how that's different than talking to the general public i'm letting lawmakers know this is a once in a generation type thing you know if this if this act hasn't been opened in 40 years i'm telling these people you are going to be judged Right. In 20 years from now, from the decisions that you make today. And, you know, I can say that because I've been elected before. A lot of times when you you know, when you're talking to these folks, they're like, well, you don't understand. You'd have never had your 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 name on a ballot. I have twice in McHenry County. Right. That wasn't very friendly to people that look hmm. like me. <gasps> uh, anybody uh, in McHenry County, Lake in the Hills, uh, would you like to respond to the comment that uh, McHenry County? Lake in the Hills, that's where she was on the ballot, doesn't like black women because of how they look, because of them being black and being women, I guess. That's what she said. That is a nasty allegation she just made. McHenry County's full of racists. She was elected, I think, twice, village trustee in Lake in the Hills. Not very friendly to people who look like her. I don't know. They voted for you twice. Interesting. Interesting statement about uh, community in which she resides or resided. I don't know which. And, uh, you know, the general region. 
she's uh, really sacrificing, though, to take on this job. To have to deal with people that don't like her because of the way she looks. Because that's how she views honkies. In case that wasn't clear. Honestly, I didn't want to be in this business. You know, I'm a Gen X um, black woman who came up in corporate America. I was on my way to being someone's CEO or someone's CMO. That's the way I was going. I was not. I was a business major. I was a communications like I wasn't trying to be in equity. Um, But let's be real. Um, Corporate America didn't know what to do with this energy. And it abused this energy. And it didn't promote this energy in the way that it should (laughs) have. Corporate America didn't know what to do with all this talent. This, with this, this energy. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, oh, she was boy. called to do it. She's called to do it, sacrificing for you and me, including you racists in Lake in the Hills. I, I was, me and Stacey Abrams were doing that in small pockets and nobody was talking about it and nobody was investing in us. I did not want to do this work, but you know what? I got called into it because of what my skills are, my mm. skills, my courage. And, and my tenacity, and you see this energy. I mean, you're feeling it. <laughs> like, like I can't contain this energy. I'm a Scorpio too, so it's oh either boy. it's either all in or it's nothing. You go, girl. What to do with all of this, Jesse McHenry? Ah, uh, yeah, just calling in. I mean, I really resent um, those kind of statements from her because, as someone who lives in McHenry County and really. Uh, lives among people who have a really high regard for, you know, individual rights, things like that. Um, wow, that's just, that's crazy. It's something, she isn't should it? Have a bite of, the call, Jesse. She should have a bite of humble pie or something. My Lord. That's uh, the kind of talent that's uh, putting together in the city of Chicago to run, to, I guess, in part run uh, things like your mass transit systems. It's going well. It's going real well. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Andre Yermak uh, is a advisor to Zelensky in Ukraine. He was on with our friend Brett Baer on Special Report yesterday, asked how uh, things were going, given all the reporting about stalemate, manpower issues, the uh, uh, anonymous uh, quotations of alleged senior advisors to Zelensky saying, even if we had all the weapons we wanted, we don't have the men to use them. Average age I mentioned before the break. Average age of Ukrainian soldier is reported to be 43. Wow. That's almost a decade older than the average age of Ukrainian children when the war started. Um, which obviously speaks to uh, mounting casualties. Against a backdrop where the Russians already have a five to one manpower advantage. But Yermak uh, said Brett Bear said to Brett Bear. And to American taxpayers, no, no, we're making progress. Things are going well. You should have complete confidence. Our response that uh, American taxpayers uh, can rest easy. It's everything under control, and uh, we really have the guarantees that all findings 
it's absolutely using under control of the American sites and we are working very transparency and we need this support to win this war. What about how things are going? You know, there's multiple reports that it's essentially a stalemate and that there's not progress against the Russians. You know, in the war, it's uh, uh, the time is calculated in, 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 other, uh, in other way. But I can say that during this period of time, the, the support of United States and other alliance, we already liberated 50% of the occupied territories from 24th of, uh, of the February last year. And our counteroffensive is continuing. Of course, everybody wants that it's happened more quickly, but we have uh, very positive results every day. Hmm. For more on this, please be joined by Stephen Bucci, served America for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer and Tom Pagan official, visiting fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Stephen Bucci, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me back on the show. Um, am I being uh, unfair by being highly skeptical of the response we heard from that Zelensky advisor? Uh, it's not inspiring a lot of confidence for me. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, official spokesmen generally tend to be very optimistic. Yeah. Uh, people who are not willing to be named and are talking in the background are frankly, in my opinion, are always potentially dubious because you don't know what their uh, agendas are. Mm -hmm. the, the spokesman, you know what his agenda is. He's, he's trying to get us to continue to support him. He's trying to uh, keep the morale of the country up. So, you know, he's going to be, you know, Mr. Sunshine, relatively speaking. The, the other folks, though, you don't know whether they're being truthful or are they trying to be destructive? Are you know are they getting an envelope from Moscow to try and undermine uh, the morale there? I'm not saying they are, but we don't know. So uh, the, well, the what, fact that what, what about, somebody's not putting their name to it makes uh, it makes me suspicious. Well, that's fair, but I mean, what about the underlying reality? And and what I mentioned too the the average age of Ukrainian soldier is 43. We're going to have to have Lindsey Graham and Chuck Schumer suit up. <laughs> if they, yeah, if they were here in America. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree with you. It, it's not as positive as I think a lot of us who hope Ukraine is, is uh, victorious would hope. Uh, but again, this kind of war that this thing has devolved into, it, it's not like doing giant left hooks across the, the uh, desert into Iraq. This is a uh, very much a... a dug in difficult kind of fight uh, more reminiscent of world war one even than world war two uh, other than the, the quality and the, the killing power of the weapons so uh i think everybody who is rooting for ukraine would hope that they would have made better progress but i think they're still making progress i don't think it's a complete stalemate uh they but it's going much more slowly than than anybody would hope other than Vladimir. Uh, but I think that the part you, you left out of your analysis was the, the effect of this on Russia. You know, the Russians are arresting people and forcing them into their military. Young men are leaving the country still to avoid the draft. 
not just young men, but any man, uh, you know, they're still getting people out of prisons to fight. So it's not like Russia has got everything in the world going for them other than being big and having lots of bodies that they can feed into that meat grinder. But even in Russia, when you do that long enough, there's a cost. And uh, I think that that's the part that balances this off. Russia doesn't benefit from a stalemate either. Well, so, what, what does winning look like for Ukraine? Uh, I mean, ideally for Ukraine, it's get Russia out of all Ukrainian territory. I don't know if we're going to get there. So I think a, a more likely uh, win would be getting Ukraine out of the territory that Russia or getting Russia out of Ukrainian territory that they took in the most recent uh, invasion. So go back to the status quo before they invaded last year. So the, uh, I think that would be a win. So, um, I mean, is the I mean, one viewpoint is basically, look, we should just provide uh, the funding or some approximation of the funding and the weaponry that Ukrainians want as long as they're willing to fight. And if they want to fight to the last Ukrainian, then fine. That's uh, on balance in our interests. Is that I mean, that's a, it's a bit cynical and I don't mean to be. Uh, inhumane about it, but I mean, is, is that's that's is that essentially the posture? Uh, I I think it is, and I don't think it's being cynical. We it is not in our interest for Russia to prevail in in any way, shape, or form. If Russia wins and takes over, you know what it has now or more of Ukraine, that is a huge net loss for the United States' influence, but also for the international relations fear in general, because one, it will probably lead to Russia doing other things later, and it will certainly uh, embolden China towards Taiwan, uh, Iran, all over the Middle East, and, and you never know what the heck North Korea is going to do. Uh, but the in Ukraine, we have uh, a country that's doing the fighting. They, they still have not asked America to send troops They haven't asked NATO to send troops. They're just saying, hey, just give us the wherewithal so we can keep fighting. Uh, And that's it's hard not to sit there and go, "Okay, I got to admire those guys. They're they're willing to put their blood on the line. They just need the help uh, from a materiel standpoint. Uh, You mentioned Iran. Uh, Rumor going around that uh, the. Biden administration is about to unfreeze another $10 billion in Iranian assets for use by the mullahs to continue sponsoring terrorism, which is a bit baffling. Uh, State Department spokeshuman Matt Miller was asked about this yesterday. Here's what he said. There are uh, speculations on social media that the U.S. is about to waive uh, some uh, issue a new waiver uh, on Iran that will uh, allow Iran to access $10 billion. Uh, why, when, how? Anything you can tell us? I think you certainly shouldn't expect me to comment on speculation on social media, and I will decline to do so. Go ahead, and then we'll wrap it up. Is it true, though? Thank you. Yeah, I think I just answered it, or declined to answer. Mm-hmm. It makes me uh, long for the days of Jen Psaki and Marie Harf. Uh, so <laughs> what, uh, what, 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 what about this $10 billion? Uh, I, if they do that, I won't be dumbfounded. Uh, I just to do that would be the most absurdly 
inappropriate thing that we could do on the international stage right now. Iran is has fully funded Hamas, equipped Hamas, has has given Hezbollah way more than they've given to Hamas. Is you know are are lauding what happened in Israel uh, and demanding that it happen more. That Israel stand down. That they shouldn't defend themselves. And is still uh, from the the balconies in in Tehran are still calling for the full destruction of Israel. Our, our only real full ally in the Middle East, to sit there and do any more deals with them and not be rolling back the deals we may have already agreed to but have not yet executed is, is ludicrous. Uh, and that the Biden administration is even still talking to Iran other than putting a finger in their chest and telling them, stand down and get all your people to stand down, I think is a huge mistake. It shows nothing but weakness. And I'm not trying to be bellicose. I just, that you know, they're shooting at our guys over there. None of these, these proxies are doing it on their own. They're doing it at the behest of the IRGC. And to sit there and then at the same moment go, well, this is just humanitarian aid. It's got nothing to do with the military. That's loony. Well, haven't Do they we had, really think the IRGC doesn't get their hands on that money? Right. Haven't we had close to 53 Americans injured on bases in Iraq, Syria, all by Iranian-backed militias? And even an American contractor, he had a heart attack and died. Yeah, it's, you know, they're hitting our people and hurting them. To, to not, we should be not hitting empty warehouses full of weapons, though that's a good target. But a better target would be barracks full of IRGC-supported militias. And, and make them feel the pain because that is the only thing that's going to deter them from shooting at our people. And to think otherwise is, you know, the kind word is, is idealistic. The, the more accurate one is insanity. Stephen Bucci served America for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer and top Pentagon official. He's a visiting fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Stephen Bucci, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me back on the show. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM 560. The answer. Plumbing the depths of history. That's a sound means it's time for in-depth history. With Frank from Arlington Heights, because there's nothing new in this world. It's just the history you don't know. Take it away, Frank. Good morning. Today's topic is nullification rises again. In 1798, President John Adams signed into law the Sedition Act, which essentially forbid the criticism of the president. The states of Virginia and Kentucky quickly passed nullification resolutions, which were attempts to cancel that federal law in their respective states. The Sedition Act expired in 1801. But it wasn't until 1819 in the McCulloch versus Maryland decision in which the John Marshall-led Supreme Court legally established the supremacy of federal laws over state laws. Despite this, the state of South Carolina, led by John Calhoun, also nullified the so-called Tariff of Abominations in 1832, which brought us close to an early civil war. And ever since that fateful conflict in the 1860s, our country has officially eschewed the idea of nullification. Or has it? One could argue the entire edifice of the Jim Crow South was one giant nullification of the 14th and 15th Amendments and our early civil rights laws. 
Today, we engage in nullification in other ways. 24 of our states, of course, have marijuana legalization laws, despite there being federal laws which prohibit any of these behaviors. Sanctuary state and city designations do the same on immigration law. And at the local level, quite a few district attorneys have arrogated to themselves the right to debase our state criminal codes by not prosecuting some alleged lawbreakers. So it seems as if this most reactionary of ideas, nullification, is alive and well. Oh, that's that's very nice. good, Frank. Yeah, I like that, and I like the pull forward. Um, also, it seems like we're going back to the Sedition Act, where you can't to, to forbid criticism of the president or of the ruling class, depending on who occupies the Oval Office and the halls of power, too. So, yeah, everything uh, well, well, old is new again. Act in 1801 was very cynical. They they passed it, and they were going to cancel it at the end in 1801. It was just something designed to make sure that Jefferson couldn't attack Adams. And then, of course, we had the Sedition Act in 1917, which was probably even more severe. So well, now we have cancel culture. So interesting. It's interesting. We're supposed to have a federal system yet. Right, nullification. Yeah, nullification of uh, drug laws, nullification of immigration law, nullification of criminal law. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I think that is a very good historical comparison, which is why we do in-depth history with Frank from Arlington Heights. Frank, thank you as always. Appreciate it. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, just updating the situation with the Biden Incorporated investigation, such as they are. When is a denial not a denial? This is a question we have to ask ourselves after the testimony offered by David Weiss when he appeared before the House Judiciary Committee was. Uh, made public the whole matter of whether or not Weiss sought authorization to charge Hunter Biden and was granted it or denied it was of course part of the subject of the inquiry Merrick Garland the attorney general has said unequivocally that uh, David Weiss in full control David Weiss continuing to insist he indeed did have full control to bring any prosecution anywhere. But when he was confronted by the fact that U.S. attorneys in other jurisdictions where he sought cooperation refused to cooperate, it, he, he admitted that the authority he needed wasn't granted. It quoting Weiss here. It wasn't granted. They said, follow the process. I follow the process. I asked for something. And in that conversation, they didn't give it to me. An agreement. Estrada was the U.S. attorney in California. Graves in D.C. They refused to assist in prosecuting Hunter Biden. And then, you know, obviously moving up the food chain, which is the point here. 
they didn't give me that authorization. So then he was asked, when you ask for something and they didn't give it to you, what is that? And he responded, I'm not, you want me to say it's a denial, but it's not. Not when I know that weeks later I was specifically told you can proceed. As Jonathan Turley reports, George Washington law professor, George Washington University law professor, Weiss insisted he was asked to proceed with this process. We're asking you to go through the process. For my mind, it was a sequencing event. It's not a denial in any way, shape, or form. That's the way I interpret it. And Turley characterized this as positively Nietzschean, which I agree. How did you know that weeks later you were going to be given the you can proceed when you were denied? You, you couldn't have known that. He didn't say, we, I, he didn't say though they said, we're denying, we're not going to uh, sign on to this, but at some point we will. He didn't say they said that. He said they just denied him. Weeks later, I was told to proceed, so it's not a denial. Well, it was a denial. I mean, we're, we're back into Clintonian land here in terms of the definition of words. It was is back then, and it's denial today. More on all this. We're pleased to be joined by Greg Jarrett, legal and political analyst for Fox News Channel. He's got a new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents. Greg Jarrett, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Dan, good to be with you and Amy. Um, the um, So, I mean, give us your handle on the state of play with these Biden Incorporated investigations and this, um, you know, parsing of words and meanings of words from David Weiss. Well, it's laughable. It's ludicrous. I mean, David Weiss uh, tried to weasel out of uh, his previous efforts to deceive Congress. Um, And, you know, he sort of doubled down on lies. You know, in a July letter, he said, oh, no, I never uh, in the previous year in the spring asked for special counsel status, grudgingly admitting in his testimony last week that he did. Um, You know, he said he had uh, full authority and, you know, was forced to admit he didn't. And he tried to parse words, as you've just uh, described. And, And so, look, the bottom line is that there's a protection racket at the Department of Justice, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, to protect the Bidens. And Weiss never had any intention of bringing any charges against Hunter Biden or his father, the evidence of which shows he was complicit in the son's influence peddling schemes. That's why Weiss sat on this for five long years uh, and did nothing. He was only forced by a federal judge in Delaware to bring the gun charges. And he says, oh, yes, uh, we're still looking at tax evasion, tax fraud, uh, perhaps money laundering, other things, which anybody else in America would have been long ago charged with. Um, Weiss has no intention of bringing charges on that. He's going to sit on it and let more statute of limitations run. Right. And and I mean, he's also sort of re-characterizing that uh, plea deal that was scuttled by the judge. It was always our intention to move forward and so on and so forth when um, the judge clearly felt that that wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, Weiss slipped into an ancillary document um, a a complete immunity agreement for Hunter Biden. 
that he get gets to walk scot-free after he pled guilty to gun charges that would have resulted in the prosecutor saying, oh, no need for any jail or prison time here. So the fix was in to protect Hunter Biden uh, because Joe Biden uh, is also involved. And I think the evidence that has been developed by Comer's committee makes that abundantly clear. Yeah. So what about the House subpoenas for Hunter and James Biden? Is that going to lead to anything? Well, I'm pretty skeptical that it will. Uh, Hunter's lawyer, of course, he's been subpoenaed, uh, insists, oh, my client's eager to testify. And then he threw in a caveat, at the right time. Translation, (laughs) never. Uh, There'll be all kinds of ridiculous demands, delay tactics, vacuous excuses, uh, because Hunter can't testify. Uh, if if he did, uh, he'd either have to tell the truth and get uh, indicted or uh, lie under oath, which constitutes even more crimes. The problem for the committee, though, Amy, is uh, the Congress has no power to enforce these subpoenas. Only Joe Biden's own Department of Justice can do that, and I promise you, they won't. Right, and so this is just um, run out the clock, get past next November, and see where we right. stand, right? Exactly. That's precisely what's going on. And uh, on the Trump side of the equation, obviously they have prosecutors that will move and judges that won't grant continuances and so forth. Um, what's your uh, expectation of, of the four trials, if, if excluding the civil one in New York that's ongoing? Uh, well, of, of those four four trials, which how many will be concluded before next November? Well, it's possible all four will. Uh, whether they will hold up an appeal is a completely different, uh, mm-hmm. you know, equation. Uh, assuming there are any convictions. Look, the one in New York by Alvin Bragg, the district attorney, is utterly uh, ludicrous. And so is the racketeering case in Georgia. That doesn't mean they won't gain convictions, but I, in the end, I, I can't see how uh, those cases stand up on appeal. Um, in you know the Jack Smith uh, special counsel uh, case, the classified documents uh, in Florida, the J6 stuff in in Washington D.C. Those are certainly more difficult cases to defend, which is not to say that uh, Donald Trump doesn't have legitimate defenses to them, because he does. Uh, I want to get to your book. Actually, it's uh, perfect timing, because just before you came on, we were talking a little bit about uh, constitutional law and the McCulloch v. Maryland decision uh, in the uh, early 1800s that uh, established the supremacy of federal law, because... uh, uh, a historian who contributes to our show was making the point that we had nullification then prior to uh, that Supreme Court decision. And it seems like we have nullification today with respect to prosecutors and our criminal code, with respect to immigration law, uh, with uh, respect to uh, drug law uh, at the state level versus the federal level. So nullification alive and well, despite uh, the, the founding documents and the interpretation of said by the Supreme Court. It, that's true. And, you know, I tackle some of this in my new book, The Constitution and Other Patriotic uh, Documents, um, as we have continuously sought a more perfect union. Um, 
Perfection is unattainable because we are inherently, intrinsically imperfect people, but that doesn't mean that we haven't throughout our history tried to correct mistakes made. And we have. Look at all the amendments to the Constitution. Uh, immediately the Bill of Rights after the uh, Constitution uh, was signed. So this book is really a tribute, I think, to the many patriots who made America great, uh, this luminous beacon of hope for liberty, prosperity, and, and justice throughout the world. And, you know, you can read our nation's most important documents, letters, speeches. These are things that change the course of history, inspiring words, galvanizing ideas. It shaped America, our virtues, our aspirations, our ideals. And I don't think enough people truly understand that, which is why I wrote the book. Uh, I mean, in the immortal words of Thomas Paine, what we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. And uh, maybe some people uh, in 2023 America have uh, come to all the benefits of this country too cheaply and esteem them too lightly. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And look, in the book, I, I do not promote an agenda. It has, unlike any other book, the full Constitution, all of the Bill of Rights, and thoroughly explained. It contains essential conservative documents as well as liberal ones. Among my favorites, the speeches by Booker T. Washington, all the way through to Ronald Reagan's famous Berlin speech, Tear Down This Wall, and the Wall King Crumbling Down, so did the Soviet Empire. So the book as a whole is philosophically patriotic. Uh, how many Biden speeches are in there? <laughs> None. <laughs> and real quick, do you think Biden's going to make it to the election? I mean, we have got DeSantis and Governor Newsom. They're debating on Fox on November 30th with Sean Hannity as a moderator. Do you think uh, it's going to happen? You know, he is so uh, old and feeble. And, and I don't mean that in chronological age. But I think we've, we've all seen his diminished mental acuity on stage almost every time he speaks, which is why his handlers at the White House try to limit it. You know, they, they put him in front of a teleprompter and they even have to, you know, cue him for his gestures and so forth. He seems lost and confused. And I find it so alarming that this is the leader of our country, the leader of the three world, and I have serious doubts that he can make it all the way to the nominating convention or the election. Greg Jarrett's legal and political analyst for Fox News Channel. His new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents, collected and explained by Greg Jarrett, number one New York Times bestselling author. Actually, your book reminds me of another great book from a bygone era, Bill Sapphire's Lend Me Your Ears, which was a, a oh, yeah. yeah, that was a great book. Great. All the speeches and his analysis of that. So uh, great offering. Uh, the Constitution of the United States and other patriotic documents. Greg Jarrett, thanks so much. Dan and Amy, thanks so much for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Have a great day. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law for 30 plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. 
where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank, gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois, but you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan to have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when you're moving out. I said, when you're moving out. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That theme music means it's time for our weekly confab with Ted Dabrowski, President of Wirepoints, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Here's a fun story. I know uh, since uh, the Pritzker Purge Law uh, took effect, things are going very well because Kim Fox said so. It's good enough for me. But uh, this story, just like classic Chicago, where anti-violence advocates beat you up for protection money. Westside convenience store owner told police a man has been demanding a $250 a week payout and struck him with a baseball bat while an accomplice robbed him and the store's cash register of more than a thousand bucks. Oh, they're collecting street taxes. Um, but the uh, gentleman in question said he was tasked as an anti-violence advocate claiming he worked for the alderman and that his efforts have decreased violence and drugs in the area since being assigned to the location about, about a year ago. So Chicago. He has beaten that neighborhood safe. Yeah. <laughs> and now give me your money. Uh, give me debt. Uh, the uh, individual in question, the uh, anti-violence advocate with the baseball bat, uh-huh. not afraid to use it. Uh, his criminal background includes a 10-year sentence for manufactured delivery of cocaine, three years for being a felon in possession of a firearm, 12 years for second-degree murder. Oh. Uh, in 2005, uh, he was found not guilty of murder and kidnapping. Lawyer fracked him, I guess, on that one. Yeah. All right. Um, but, and again, I, I know the Pritzker-Purge law is going gangbusters. Equity. A seven-time felon is one of two men who drove a stolen vehicle to a West Loop restaurant, stole an ATM on Friday morning. He's only been out of jail for three months, but state officials are not moving to revoke his parole, and he was released from custody to await trial. Seven-time felon drove a stolen vehicle, drove a stolen vehicle to steal an ATM. He's been out for three months and released on his own recognizance. No. What could go wrong? Chicago man already released twice under cashless bail, now accused of armed robbery. Yeah, again, you know, nonviolent crimes. Uh, man who's been charged with crimes twice since Illinois' uh, cashless bail system debuted in mid-September. That's the Pritzker Purge Law, so-called safety act. And was released to a trial both times, struck out on Saturday over the weekend when prosecutors accused him of committing an armed robbery. Oh. Uh, hmm? Yeah, victimless crime. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going well, though. Because the person he robbed is never going to be the same. Uh, crime's ever. on the decline in Chicago. Says who? Says uh, Kim Fox and Brandon Johnson. That's good enough for me. What does Ted Dabrowski say? Ted, thanks for being with us, as always. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Good seeing you guys this weekend. I saw, yeah, good seeing you as well. I saw that... Uh, You've uh, put together a report over at WirePoints just sort of updating uh, uh, updating us on where crime in uh, Chicago is year over year. Uh, the good news is that murders and shootings are down, so 
Everything's getting back to normal. Yeah, you know, we wanted to put this out and get ahead of the crowd who's going to say things are better in Chicago on crime because, you know, you, you're sure going to hear that. And, uh, you know, the reality is we'll hit a, a major, you know, sorry, a record high post-COVID. Uh, we'll have almost 80,000 major crimes, and that's compared to 50,000 back in 2019. So you're talking about a 60% increase. And it's, it's also a nearly 20% increase over last year. So, um, you know, the, the crimes are there. Yes, they are going to focus on murders. Murders are down about about 11 percent. But, uh, you know, you look at the big cities like like Philadelphia, they're down 22 percent. Uh, sorry, they're down 20 uh, percent in Philadelphia, 21 percent in Houston, almost 20 percent in L.A. So, yeah, we might be down a little bit, but that might be part of a, a broader national trend on, on murders. Uh, but but crimes are up. And I tell you, you know, we don't know how the Safety Act is going to play. You've, you've, you've pointed out some good stories there, uh, which, which, of course, we've seen a lot of. But. Uh, uh, you know, as the, as the Safety Act kicks in more and more and the no, no cash bill kicks in, we've seen the population of the Cook County Jail drop uh, 10% in, in just two months. And uh, we're 40-year lows on who's in jail in the Cook County Jail. So, uh, you know, that that's kind of scary for, for people who are concerned that there's more and more criminals running around. What are they doing with all the jail guards then? They must be bored out of their minds. Same thing you do with CPS teachers. Just pretend like that's like... the population's the same. Oh, yeah. Why not? Everybody's got imagination. Yeah, everybody's got imagination. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, I, you're right. Seven-time felon accused of stealing an ATM. A uh, guy uh, who was released twice uh, commits an armed robbery allegedly. You know, those are the people that are kind of that are on the street, thanks to the Safety Act and thanks to the effort to decarcerate um, uh, repeat violent offenders. So, I mean, it sounds like it's going well. I I, I like the two this discussion where. You know, we're only uh, six weeks in and so on and so forth. Yeah, but but we have um, uh, real world data from New York that's had a modified, less aggressive form of no cash bail system of no cash bail since 2019. And we know some of the research there, which is that violent crime ticked up. So, uh, I mean, I we're not. How are we different than New York? How the human beings here are like the human beings there. They respond to incentives. And so. We should anticipate that violent crime will tick up as a result. Well, that's exactly right, uh, Dan. And we also have the experiment here in Cook County back in 2017 when uh, Chief Judge uh, Tim Evans passed his low bail, no, sorry, low cash, no cash yeah. uh, bail. And, and that's, you know, we've seen the, the Cook County population, jail population trend down, uh, you know, uh, what is that, like 30 percent. And, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with these these people, you know. Going, going right back out on the streets. And look, here's what's amazing about this. The, the cash bail, um, it, it's, it's something that, you know, if somebody gets out on cash bail, you got like a, a parent watching out over the person. This, this monetary thing has some impact. And, and, and there's, a, there's a penalty for having done something wrong. It's still while you're waiting trial, of course. Um, without that, people are, you know, they're, they're committing a crime and they are back out immediately. And so they're, therefore, they can go do the next robbery right off, you know, the next day. And that's, that's a real problem right there. Well, and also too, there's no incentive to go to your court case. Yeah, and, and yeah, for sure, there's less less incentive for that. Although you know, there's a lot of debate about about the numbers there, but uh, for sure, you have you yeah, you don't have to go back because you're not going to lose anything. Hey, um, what's going on with uh, Goshen in Mantino? And I saw that um, uh, your colleague Mark Lennon recently um, interviewed uh, some folks up in Michigan who have a similar Goshen uh, EV project, and um, they just recalled uh, all the people on their uh, township board who supported 
that uh, sweetheart deal for that Chicom EV battery maker in uh, Green Charter Township. What, 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 what's going on in Michigan that perhaps uh, could provide some instruction to the residents yeah, of Mantino? Some, some lessons for, for Illinois. Look, you know, this is one of the big national stories, and it's, it's a small story in the sense that it's a small town, but it's, it's huge. So, you know, the Goshen, this Chinese, Chinese tied, Chinese call it run uh, company that does electric vehicle batteries is trying to put up a similar plant in, in Big Rapids, Michigan, just like the one they're doing in Mantino. There's some differences, but it's pretty much the same thing. And, uh, you know, this is a big deal. They're trying to get the, the state government in Michigan and, of course, federal subsidies, billions in subsidies. Well, the people in Big Rapids didn't want it. They kept saying, we don't want it. They knew nothing about the transaction. It was done in secrecy, just like the one in Mantino, uh, and, and it was being shoved down the people's throats. And so the people in Big Rapids said, well, we're going to recall our entire uh, Green Charter township. And, and they did. It's exactly what they did. And I think all of them were Republicans, by the way, who were in power. But um, basically, it was such, so much secrecy. Nobody was paying attention to the locals. And boom, they recalled them all and replaced them all. And so now you've got a situation where at least the, the new town officials can push back, demand answers. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful model for what should happen in, in, in places like Illinois. Uh, we don't have the same recall powers, but uh, it should be a reminder to local officials that, hey, you work for the local people and you need to respond to them. So I, I hope people get inspired by what, what's happened. And everybody should, everybody should go check out exactly what happened in, in, uh, in, uh, in Michigan. The uh, fallout, national fallout from uh, the unprecedented repeal of an existing K through 12 scholarship program continues. Wall Street Journal opined again on what uh, the political ruling class did in this state to end the tax credit scholarship program. And, you know, it, one of the things that's remarkable to me, it's just sort of a microcosm of the larger problem in Illinois is uh, Cardinal Supich, uh, the head of the Chicago Archdiocesan schools. You know, he, I mean, I, maybe I missed it, but uh, he didn't say much of anything. I mean, he did after the fact, but there was no public effort to hold, call people out, hold people accountable, profile scholarship families for Chicago media. There's no effort made by anybody, including Supich. And that's despite the fact that Supich knew the end of this program would lead, and it's going to lead, to the closure of 10 to 15 more archdiocesan schools. Uh, you know this is going to further debilitate the Catholic school system in Chicago that's already seen its population go from, student enrollment go from 300,000 in 1990 to 70,000 today, wow. while Big Shoulders is uh, applauding themselves. It's happened on the, the watch of all of these private school, Catholic school advocates, Chicago Catholic school advocates. How does how does anybody explain this? But so that's a separate and distinct. But you're the head. You're the cardinal. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, Dan, I, th I think this whole the whole movement and you know, this is the problem with Illinois is that we're it's like the hostage syndrome. We, we don't know how to fight back anymore. And and, you know. They, they, I, I think they're still hoping. Well, let's let's not let's not muddy the waters. Let's be nice because maybe no, let's be nice. January, yeah. So, so in January maybe they'll do something for us. So we have to stop this whole. 
you know, being sweet and let's let's you know let's not provoke them. Don't don't wake up the unions. You know that. Kind I, of, I just uh, I, what Republicans I, are going to push for this again? And who can It doesn't even. I just heard that on Mike Scott's newscast. Oh, uh, some uh, legislators are talking about bringing back this this TCS, the Invest in Kids Act, in the spring. Are you serious? I mean, who do you think you're fooling? Really? Right. Yeah, I mean, Chris Welch, you know, they, they're not going to bring it back. And, you know, the unions are so happy. You know, they're letting all the all the, all the the Democratic legislators who oppose this, you know, hey, you did a great job in not bringing this to, to a vote. Um, it's, you know, it's a, a different type of war that we need to fight for school choice. And it should be a war because, you know, I, I keep talking about it. And I, I think what's fascinating everywhere I go, I think one of the most interesting things for people is how bad these these schools are and how bad the reading results are and math results. Um, you know, when you've got these results in, in many of these schools where just, you know, a handful of kids are reading at grade level, it should be a war, not not a not a nice request of, of Welch and, and Harmon, you know, all these all these guys who send their own kids to private schools. It should not be a nice request. It should be a battle and a war. We should have it way out loud in, in, in the public sphere and not not in the uh, back rooms of the of the state house hoping and begging and groveling for, for a few, you know, a few scholarships. Ted Dabrowski, President of WirePoints, WirePoints.org, all things Illinois policy-related. Thanks, Ted. Oh, yeah, yeah, go, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Mention one thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I want to mention that we had – just one thing, you know, we talked about it a couple couple times. The uh, We had the event on, on the uh, rapid onset of gender dysphoria. We had the event that was canceled by the Writers Theater in, in Glencoe, but we had it in the Wilmette Library. Uh-huh. And kudos to the Wilmette Library for allowing us to have – you know, <laughs> kudos to them – public space they should allow it but, but they do allow it <laughs> thank you for allowing and, us to use the space we finance yeah. <laughs> right but, but you know in, in this crazy age you know we had it and nutrient neighbors who, who put that together i'm on the board there but Beth feely you know we did a really nice job of having a non-hyperbolic discussion which i think everybody appreciated both sides were there but but it was the kind of way of you know we have all these fights over libraries books and all that stuff you know, there's a way to have a civil discourse in a way that, that a place like the library, you know, everybody learned. How about that? And, and yeah, yes, there were other people on the other side who may have not been happy. That's fine. But it was done in a way that we could have a constructive discussion about this massive increase of young girls who, you know, who are transitioning and it doesn't make any sense, et cetera, et cetera. So kudos to everybody who put that together. I was really happy to see it work out the way it did. Excellent. How many people showed up roughly? Oh, room full. You know, it's probably, probably 70, 80. I don't know, maybe, That's great. maybe more. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Oh, I'm glad yeah. to hear that it went well. Very good. Ted Dabrowski, right. wirepoints.org. Thanks, Ted. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, you were just at Parents Weekend at University of Iowa. I was. That's why I missed part of Freedom Summit. But again, I think bosses for letting me have family time because that you know happens once a year and it's important yeah 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 and you've got yeah, uh, you have imaginary children where i have real children you're piling up a couple million bucks in oh, yeah. uh college tuition between g-tech and iowa so we had this conversation at freedom summit with uh ray kaplan uh who's an attorney at kaplan law eponymously named uh and uh, it was about uh, how to reduce student loans uh, student loan debt and apparently there's a lot that well, I didn't. Well, it's clear there's a lot I didn't know. And I think a lot that a lot of people didn't know about 
the programs where you can reduce student debt and your debt payments. Um, you don't have to wait for the big guy to wave a magic wand. So we thought we'd broaden the audience for this because I think it's relevant with the kind of numbers we're talking about when it comes to financing college education. Ray Kaplan, attorney at Kaplan Law. Ray, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, just give us a sort of a, a general, we'll go from the general to the specific, sort of a general review of the landscape, um, the kinds of programs that are out there and the kinds of savings that people can achieve. Well, I think there's a lot of... Um misinformation out there about financing your kids' college education. And I've I've personally been on the phone with my clients and the servicers, the federal loan servicers, who say some really wildly inaccurate things and miscalculate payments. Payments, I mean, we're talking if your payment is supposed to be $300 a month, calculating your payment at $3,000 a month. That's a big difference. Whoa, that's a big yeah, difference. That's a heart attack difference right, right. there. <laughs> and so the key for us is knowing how the um, law applies to your loans so that you can make sure that your um, payment is being calculated appropriately, that you know what the payment's going to be, and that you understand how federal loans work. And the way they work is they're all on a payment track as long as you pick the right payment plan. And to be forgiven, either after 10 years or 20 years or 25 years. So a lot of the time, you really just have to manage the loans and pay what you need to pay under the statutes to stay in compliance with the law until they get forgiven. And for public sector workers, people who are you know teachers, firefighters, police officers, if you're a doctor at a not-for-profit hospital or a nurse, that means you only have to pay for 10 years. And often the payment is very, very reasonable. There are new payment plans also that um, were just introduced recently that will reduce most people's payments by half. All of our clients' payments were reduced by 50% or more, and it has a 100% interest subsidy. So effectively, it turns your loans into a 0% interest loan the whole time that you're in this payment plan and then forgiven. And then other stuff too, like if you're a senior citizen and you're retired, very often, your loan is eligible to be completely forgiven tax-free. So I just think that if people Hopefully knew, you're not still paying off your college loan as a senior, but if you took out a loan like right. on behalf of your grandkids or something like that. And it happens a lot. So what will happen sometimes is um, we see clients who will have um, federal loans that they took out maybe when they were in college, then they maybe went back to grad school later in life, then they have kids, and then they're taking out federal parent plus loans. And- these loans accrue interest pretty much from the time they're dispersed, so often for 20 or 25 years. And then before you know it, you are looking at two or $300,000 in loans. And it's very scary to think, how are we going to do this? And so where I come in is basically just knowing the law and giving you a plan and a strategy to deal with them and hopefully get them forgiven if we can. So I know somebody who works at the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. She's an assistant state's attorney. Shows about one hundred and forty thousand dollars, yeah, in student loans because for undergrad and for law school, right? Um, should she come and see you? Because they're, that's they're... a great question, and the answer is yes. And I'm not just saying that in right. a self interested way. So it's financialrelief.com and raycaplin.com. Um, if anybody wants to call or three one two two nine four eighty nine eighty nine. But um, really, for people in your friend situation who work in the public sector, because that's considered working in the public sector. Um, 
there is an executive order out there called the one-time IDR account adjustment. I'm really trying to get the word out there about this because it expires December 31st. And I don't think the Department of Education, maybe they did, maybe that's why they're kind of keeping it on the down low. I don't think they knew how much this was actually going to create in terms of loan forgiveness, but I think so far it's been $8 billion in loans forgiven. Now there's $1.7 trillion in federal debt, federal student loan debt. So it's actually kind of a drop in the bucket, but it makes a huge difference for people like your friend. Um, So this executive order expires December 31st. If we can get the IDR account adjustment applied to the loans, then she'll get retroactively credit towards loan forgiveness and potentially get her entire loan balance forgiven in one fell swoop. And if we can get it done, so we have to apply before December 31st. Then um, if you get the loan forgiveness by January 1st, uh, 2026, it's a tax-free forgiveness, meaning you don't have to pay federal income taxes on the amount of loan forgiveness that you get, which is really nice too. So what if you're just like, uh, you know, regular uh, kid from a middle-income family who goes to a state school or a private school and you rack up in 10, uh, 10, 20, $50,000 in debt and you're not taking a public sector job, you're an entry-level a job in some bigger corporation. Right. Um, Do you get screwed like the middle income families usually do? So a little bit because um, people who work in the private sector have to pay longer on their loans. And then usually the um, forgiven amount is considered taxable income. Um, Everybody seems to think that they're going to change that section of the tax code and maybe it won't be taxable later on. We'll see. But what's the good news is that if you are working, you know, kind of at a middle level job making forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. Under this new income based payment plan, um, it's called the Save Plan. It's an income driven formula. Your payment, if you're making under let's say you're a family of four making under sixty thousand a year, your payment is zero. And that counts as a payment towards loan forgiveness. If you're making around um, under thirty two thousand and you're a single person your payment is zero, and that counts as a payment on that track to forgiveness. You just really have to know kind of how they set the the system up so that you can stay in compliance with the law and not pay way more than you're supposed to. So there is, so yeah, that's so. I mean, that's sort of like the income share agreements that uh, Mitch Daniels are trying to popularize at Purdue when he was president there uh, to help underwrite your college education. And then, you know, you 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 pay back on a schedule consistent with what you're earning. So it's it you know, it's it's tiered based on what you're earning. And so it gives some sort of um, accountability for return on investment for that Purdue degree. And of course, ideally, more universities would adopt that sort of, you know, what you pay to this much and you're making this much. And so we'll adjust accordingly. But but that program you're talking about the federal level it's not quite the same thing, but it it sort of operates in a similar fashion depending on exactly what your income is and what your debt debt load is. Exactly. So what it does is um, it makes your loan payments, it really takes the stress out of your student loan payments because the loan payment is based on a formula that's basically 10, 5 to 10% of your gross discretionary income. And so that payment is very manageable. And it, see, people get nervous about it though because they um, would see their loan balances increasing, even though they were making payments consistently. And 
obviously that kind of does a number on you because it just seems like, okay, I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. This is never going to go away. But what they don't realize is that loan balance is going to get forgiven. And so with the save plan, the um, balance doesn't increase because of the zero, the 100% interest subsidy. So it's a really good plan. It really keeps your payments low. And the key is that the servicers are so overwhelmed right now with millions of people applying that um, they are making a lot of mistakes. They're sending out statements with incorrect payment amounts and calculating the payment incorrectly. And so what we want to do is just make sure that everybody knows that there is relief out there and there's no negative credit ramification. So it doesn't negatively impact you in any way. It just keeps your loan payments very manageable until your loans get forgiven. And you might be eligible for forgiveness that you just are not aware of. A lot of our senior citizens are eligible for loan forgiveness. We've had millions of dollars in loans knocked out and forgiven for our senior citizen community who just were not aware that this even existed. And you had recommendations uh, when we spoke on Saturday about the kind of loans you should and shouldn't take out. Yes. So the the key when you're, we, we often do um, pre-college planning for families. So if you've got kids who are getting ready to go to school, I think it really makes uh, sense to have a, a strategy session with us where we can show you, okay, if mom borrows money, here's what the payments are going to look like because with federal parent plus loans, the payments are based on the borrower's income. And there's actually a carve out in the statute where you don't, um, they can calculate the payments just on whoever the borrower's income is. So they don't have to take into consideration everybody's income. So that keeps the payments low as well. So um, a lot of the strategy involves who should be the parent plus borrower, who should not be, who has a greater chance of getting the loans forgiven down the line and why, and what will those payments look like? And we can calculate them um, so that you know exactly what the payments will be when your kids graduate from college and you know exactly how to budget for that. And then you know whether or not the when you get the loans forgiven, if it's going to be taxable income. So if you're going to have to deal with the tax bomb, as we call it, you'll know how to, we often tell people, open up a savings account and start putting money in that savings account. If they change the tax code, great. You'll you know, have a bunch of money saved. But if you have to deal with that tax issue at the end of 20 years, you'll have the money and you'll be able to cover it. Are you just astounded at how much college costs every year? Yes. I mean, it is unbelievable. From when we went to school to what it is now, it's... When I went to school 100 years ago, it was, you know, $25,000 a year, and that was outrageous back Mine then. 7000 <laughs> <laughs> That was, okay, easy, don't. don't yeah, I mean, Iowa. Yeah. Still, I mean, but now we're talking 80000 a year. 80000 a year is what Northwestern yeah. is. Two and lanes, 80000 Yes, it's unbelievable. So, I, you know, I think we need to have a reset culturally where we're not putting this kind of tremendous pressure on kids where – you have to go to a four-year college. And if you don't go to a four-year college, you're going to be a failure. It's not meant for everybody. It really, back in the day, um, a four-year college was meant if you were really wanting to pursue a professional degree, right? You don't need a $200,000 degree if you're going to go work at a a, a Starbucks or go work at um, a law firm as a legal secretary or if you want to be a housewife, which is fantastic. You know, why do you necessarily need to saddle yourself with these kinds of loans you I really want to be don't. a housewife yeah <laughs> I 
Don't I we think all? you missed your <laughs> calling, yeah, Dan. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe we can get you back. Uh, financialrelief.com is the website. Financialrelief.com. And I'm getting text messages. What's your phone number? Oh, yep. 312-294-8989. And by the way, uh, I mean, it's just a, a fun little story. How do you come up with this uh, niche in terms of the practice of law? It was by working your own case, right? Yeah, exactly. I was trying to figure out how on earth uh, they were calculating my payments the way they were for my own student loans. And so when I realized um, there was something, a disclosure on a statement that it was all governed by the Higher Education Act, I thought, all right, I'm going to sit down and start to read that statute. Of course, it's like a tome. You know, it's like this huge thing. Right. But really just trying to figure out my own loans is how I figured out this is how it works for everybody. And we can help people just understanding the law. All she right. is she is Ray Kaplan, attorney at Kaplan Law. Again, financialrelief.com. And the phone number, 312-294-8989. Yep. Ray, thank you so much. Yes, anytime, guys. Thank you so much for having me. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, um, uh, you mentioned yesterday uh, Megan Rapino blaming God or... For her injury. Yeah. Blame no, there for, is no God because she was injured. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess she tore Achilles or something. Yeah. ACL. Pretty bad. Well, which was it? Achilles or ACL? Uh, no, it was Achilles. No, it's Achilles. Oh, I yeah, it was okay. Achilles. Um, so God has responded. Oh, he has? Yeah. Apparently he's a contributor over at the Washington Free Beacon. I, I didn't know. Oh, do you want to hear her blaming God or we don't just move on? I mean, I think we get the gist of yeah. it. We don't need to punish our audience by yeah, having to basically said if there was a god i wouldn't have gotten megan rapino i mean i think so highly of myself yeah well, well god is trying to talk here so i think we should give him the floor <laughs> uh here's what god said in reply uh-huh. i knew this would happen obviously but that doesn't make it any less hilarious the uh, last game of rapino's career league championship no less and she injures herself immediately then has to watch her team lose from the sidelines i'm still laughing about it now, I know you're what you're thinking. Yes, I technically created Rapino and love her the same as all my children, even the ones who deny my existence, even the ones who worship Satan and play soccer, to the extent there's a difference. Oh, stop. Wonderful. Wonderful. Riff. He wrote that? You didn't just put that in there? No, that's he God. He really wrote that. I hope John sure? Cass is listening. I hope Cass is listening, too. Uh, God continues. Nevertheless, I think we can all agree Megan Rapino is obnoxious shrew. Who had it coming, right? I'm willing to forgive almost anything, but one thing I simply can't abide is disrespect for my country, the United States of America. Just ask Gabe Kapler or Colin Kaepernick. Sorry, Megan, what happened to you is proof I do exist. Good luck with the retirement. God's a, God's a little bit on edge. You know, he's a little edgier than yeah. I thought. It's not all... Uh, he's hardened over the years. Peace, love, and happiness. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a little... Having a little fun at Megan Rapino's expense because she is such an obnoxious shrew. Yeah, I think it's fair. Uh, it's a lot of text messages in reference to our last interview yeah. with Ray Kaplan. So, Dan and Amy, life is better for those who work for the government, just like the forefathers intended. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I, I love it. That's why I brought up the, yeah, some, you know, kid from middle-income family grinds it out, gets a degree, comes out with, you know, took loans, gets student debt, goes to work in the private sector to climb the corporate ladder, whatever. And, uh, yeah, oh, no, he's getting... Shafted. He's getting he yeah. or she is getting shafted. And then if they don't pay it, then they have to pay taxes on that income. Yeah. I mean they're getting it yeah, from gover- both ends. Government employees, uh, early forgiveness, easier, right? Uh, I mean, of course, everything is wired for 
uh, are betters in the public sector. Got another text message. Just go to junior college or go into the trades, which is always an option. Yeah. You know, every not, college is not for everyone, that's for sure. No. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The censorship industrial complex that we've talked about on this show and I'm not letting go of. I mean, you have this huge case that's not getting near the coverage it warrants, Missouri v. Biden, uh, which the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has already uh, decided in favor of the attorneys general who brought the case against the federal government for, as the Twitter files have documented with great specificity, the federal government using cutouts to direct social media companies to collude with social media companies, because a lot of them were willing, they're men and women of the left too, to control the flow of information. And, you know, it's um, a bit frustrating because you would think that... um, People that are concerned about uh, free thought and free expression would think this important. You would think that Republicans who've been on the wrong side of the censorship industrial complex since 2016, even when they've been victorious, like in 2016 and in 2022, to some extent, you would think that they would put more profile on this story. And, and it just continues. The, in anticipation of the Supreme Court's decision in Missouri v. Biden, where they will rebuke, I can almost guarantee you, they will rebuke the federal government. They say, you know, basic, simple constitutional law principle. You cannot uh, task private parties to do what you yourself cannot do. If, what, if you doing it was unconstitutional, then tasking a private party to do it at your behest, still makes it unconstitutional. And that's what I'm talking. I'm talking about the censorship. We know from Robert Epstein, not that he's the Oracle of Delphi, but I mean, it's pretty compelling evidence, and he's been talking about it since 2016. The Harvard-trained psychologist, former editor of Psychology Today, actually, who's been studying how Google, in particular, has been manipulating its search engine results since 2016. Remember, he's the one who testified the same hearing that Prager did before a Senate subcommittee about, you know, being about YouTube censoring Prager U videos. He testified that uh, his research suggests that Google moved between two and a half million to ten and a half million votes in the direction of Hillary Clinton in 2016. Now, you can question the research and methodology and go, go into that, but He's been uh, talking about it, warning about it, making recommendations as to what to do about it since. wonder what they did in 2020. Well, right. He said, yeah, I remember Trump him saying and in, Biden. in advance of 2020, he was talking about the manipulation of information flow by these tech platforms, Google, Facebook, that moved six million votes. That's, I think that was his estimation. 
And so um, those individuals who got caught and exposed with the Twitter files and uh, are going to be taken to task by the Supreme Court, they're already taking next, next steps to maintain their perch as our information overlords. Mike Benz, former State Department official, has talked about the uh, news guard operation. They're replacing what they had in 2020 with uh, a new middleman, middleware man, that's what Benz was calling it, to continue to try to manipulate the information you see and you don't see to influence the electorate's choices in 2024. And so we now have a House Weaponization of Government Committee report on the topic. It's another layer to this. And Matt Taibbi, man on the left, not a Republican, just like Schellenberger, not a Republican, uh, he provided this sort of uh, information, this real-time tutorial on the conclusions of the House of uh, House uh, Weaponization of Government Committee's report. Really interesting. And if you remember from the conversation, there are these quasi-governmental uh, agencies, consortiums that were a, a consortium that was set up. That included the Election Integrity Partnership, which was housed at Stanford University. And, you know, here's some of what we know from the actual communications from these principals. University of Washington, Stanford University, the Atlantic Council and CIS, Center for Internet Security. These are all fronts for government agencies, and they're largely funded by the government. This is how they did it, and they're doing it again. And you're just not getting the sort of attention. It's just not getting the sort of attention it deserves. It, it may be a little complicated. You, you have to sift through all the acronyms and uh, understand the org charts and how the different players interact with one another. But the upshot is they're rigging the election. For all the talk about uh, vote by mail programs and Zucker boxes and early voting periods and counting and Dominion voting. I mean, the manipulation of information is a massive deal. There was a, a lack of capability around election disinformation. Uh, this is not because CISA didn't care about disinformation, but at the time they lacked uh, both kind of the funding and the legal authorizations um, to go do the kinds of work that would be necessary to truly understand how election disinformation was operating. So because of the feedback uh, and the ideas from these, uh, this group, um, we were able to pull together pretty quickly a project between these four different institutions to try to fill the gap of the things that the government cannot do themselves. That's uh, Alex Stamos. Uh, no relation to John, I don't think. Um, that's Alex Stamos, who is the head of the Election Integrity Partnership. What did you just hear him say? 
we did it because the government couldn't. I mean, that's uh, an admission of guilt. Um, CISA, founded, funded, administered. This is the cyber uh, information and secure and cyber infrastructure and security administration within DHS. So it's a that's a government entity. All right. So listen to Taibi. Why does this matter? Okay. Well, one of the denials is CISA didn't found, fund, or control uh, the EIP. Well, here's founding. Here's funding, <laughs> um, and. Here's controlling, essentially. I mean, they're, they're the ones who are doing the demo. I mean, they didn't, they, they perhaps didn't control the actual administration of the program, although we'll, we'll come to that. But they at least put it together um, at the beginning. And so this all directly refutes the, the denials uh, at the time. And he's just going through documentation, which substantiates that they said they didn't fund founder minister. They did all those things. By the way, they're setting up portals at the for the state level actors to send information to the national level actors in terms of what, for example, election officials, Ali Giannullius, J.B. Pritzker, what they say is disinformation going on in Illinois. Well, send that up the food chain. And then we'll come down on it effectively. The EIP, again, Election Integrity Partnership, Stanford University, one of the four entities that's relevant here. The research director at EIP. Saying that the gap the EIP was filling had, quote, several components, one of which was unclear legal authorities, including very real First Amendment concerns. So this is one of the founders of the program uh, saying openly uh, that, well, we're filling these gaps because of very real, there would be otherwise very real First Amendment concerns. And this is from people who have spent the entire year telling us that we were crazy um, for saying that there might be a First Amendment issue. And they themselves are conceding it in, pr- you know, in print. Um, but of course, you know, no, no one's ever going to go back and ask them about that. Uh, an email between a Facebook official and a Homeland Security official that uh, is summarized by Taibbi about that state-local misinformation portal. DHS can't be the front of this organization, but beneath the surface, it still wants to be involved. Behind the scenes, it still wants to be involved. And not only that, CISA... And ISAC, which is a sub-agency of CIS, to get even more confusing, CISA and CIS would like to have incoming the same time that the platforms do. If you're wondering what incoming is, all the people in this world seem to uh, have this uh, irritating literary habit of turning verbs into nouns and nouns into verbs. Incoming is just like stuff they get in the mail or uh, complaints or whatever. So they want to get the complaints at the same time that the platforms do. And this is important because it explains the rationale for this convoluted, uh, 
you know, structure that we see here. And there's some other diagrams uh, like it. Uh, but more, more to the point, it explains why uh, they had to have a superficial uh, private organization, CIS, which I infamously confused with CISA in, a, in one of the Twitter files tweets and got nailed, nailed on it by Mehdi Hassan. Um, but these groups are more or less interchangeable, but they needed to have CIS be in front because DHS cannot openly endorse the portal. Right. So they have this phony private quote unquote front, but DHS is saying we want to get information in real time at the same time that this phony private front gets it. So in some, this is a government effort to get involved with something that's rather serious. Uh, you know, what kinds of speech heading into an election are seen more, seen less, are labeled, not labeled. Um, you know, they act like this is just a pro forma effort to get rid of, um, you know, what, what do they say, persistent lies. Uh, but these have prof- programs like this have profound impact on how people vote, which people uh, will turn up. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. David Lansing, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, guys. Um, when I hear a Republican say, I want to post it on Facebook, I respond to them, oh, I'm going to translate what you just said. You want to steal the 2024 election in favor of the Democrats again and help Zuckerberg. And then when I hear a Republican say, Google it, I translate it back to him and say, oh, I, I know what you just said here. You said you want to start believing socialism is good because that's what Google does. They give you all this, like, socialist crap in their search results. Anyway, have a good morning. Thanks for the call. I, I'm not saying get off social media, but participating in social media is, yeah, on social media platforms is, uh, you know, it's feeding the censorship industrial complex, especially in the short term. You have to go where people are. You have to communicate to people where they are. You know, you have to live on the landscape as it actually is. We can argue about how it got this way and where it should go and and what we should do. And that's what we need to argue about, what we should do. But, uh, you know, silence, pretending that there are, you know, not hundreds of millions of people on Facebook. Well, all the platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Insta, TikTok, TikTok, pretending that is is. Is doing what? Do you think that's aiding the cause? No. So in the short term, there are things that have been recommended that Republicans should be talking about. Things like I mentioned Robert Epstein has suggested, like forcing Google to uh, publicly disclose the algorithms used for search results. So you can potentially identify any political manipulation, Um, particularly because these social media platforms now have unclean hands since they've been working in service of the alphabet soup of state agencies, including law enforcement agencies, including national security agencies.
Well, I mean, remember FBI and Twitter when they were exchanging emails? They considered themselves coworkers. Yes, or I mean, colleagues. Co- colleagues. Yeah. yeah. But they yeah. wrote that one like, you're my coworker. Like, what? Is going on. I mean, again, the 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 misin the misinformation disinformation board that they try to set up at DHS, and everybody got all up in arms because it's so obvious, it's so between your eyes, and then they scuttled that. But all they did was move it underground. We don't need to do it formally. Uh, we don't need to take heed about who we're going to tap to be our point person and what she said or done in her past and. We don't need the congressional oversight and we have we have more people in addition to me or my orcas from DHS get whistled before uh, Republican controlled House committees to get pilloried and embarrassed. We'll just communicate surreptitiously. We'll set up cutouts and false private fronts and do through the back door what we can't do through the front door. And they're doing it again even in advance of what is likely the outcome in that Missouri v. Biden case with this news guard. This is the next generation of it. News guard that we've talked about before, which has set up a private company, truly private, not government funded, but it's got all of the government uh, intelligence brass on its board. The Michael Haydens of the world. And, and a former NSC personnel and so on and so forth. And they aim to do the same things. But it'll be private actors working with private actors. So that's outside the purview of constitutional violation. Uh, Republican Party needs to, you know, for all the talk about ballot security and election integrity, and it's all warranted. This needs to be a much bigger part of the conversation. Yeah. Information is power, right? Informs people's understanding of what is or is not happening. And we sort of have a relatively cavalier attitude about what the left is doing, what the censorship industrial complex is doing. I better change in the next 12 months. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.